You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast as we roll our way through mid-January now. The second week of the semester is here. The freshmen and the uh, newly enrolled transfer players starting to get settled in here at Penn State. We're starting to get settled into the idea of what this 2024 Penn State football roster is going to be looking like, at least through the spring semester and spring practices, which will start in mid-March. And we're going to wrap our heads around some Position rooms that are in the spotlight, we believe, now in these upcoming months as Penn State bridges the gap between reassembling its roster here in January 2024 and then buckling up and really getting after it for preseason camp in August. Uh, We'll review a few spots on the field that have been directly impacted by recent additions uh, through the transfer class, through the freshman class, and also impacted by departures, whether it's for the NFL draft or just no more eligibility or guys entering the portal, which hasn't happened a lot. We'll dive into that with Daniel Gallon in just a moment, who's also going to share some perspective on Penn State basketball. He was at the BJC on Tuesday night as the Nittany Lions upset 11th-ranked Wisconsin. Back to 500 are the Penn State basketball uh, Nittany Lions, and uh, they have a a really interesting roller coaster of sorts thus far in conference play. We'll we'll talk about that, and we'll finish up this episode with Tyler Calvaruso. Not only is there a lot to dissect with him about this early enrolled class that we dove into a lot with Brian Doan on the last episode of this podcast last week, and again, if you missed that one, it dropped last Thursday, uh, January 11th. It had Brian Doan breaking down just about every member of this early enrolled group in January. We're going to pick uh, Tyler's brain on a few things. He's going to talk about a few guys that have been off the beaten path a little bit, maybe not necessarily in the spotlight as much as others. And we'll wrap with a look ahead at what shapes up to be a relatively big weekend for Penn State football recruiting. Junior day here on campus uh, set for Saturday. You've got a lot of really intriguing uh, prospects from that 2025 class making their way from in the region and from beyond the region. We'll talk about several of them and start to set the stage with Tyler Calvaruso. But as I mentioned before, we've got Daniel Gallon to kick things off here on this episode. And 
Daniel, I, I said we're going to talk a lot about the roster, but we really have to begin with the staff changes because since we last spoke here on the podcast, there has been some movement at another coordinator position. There's been some analyst movement as well, which may not seem as big on the surface, but can really be a key component of what a staff accomplishes day by day. Let's begin with the bigger news of the bunch, and that's Stacy Collins going back to Boise State. Uh, that one broke late last week. He came from Boise State to come to, to Penn State a couple of years ago, spent two years as a special teams coordinator. It was also the outside linebackers and Nichols coach for the Penn State defense. We saw him on the practice field working in coordination with uh, Manny Diaz often with those linebackers. But his bread and butter has been that special teams coordinator position. He goes back to Boise. He'll wear that title. He also gets a bit of a bump in becoming an all-out linebackers coach for the Broncos. And he's also the assistant head coach out there. He's got his roots, Daniel, when you look at his coaching record, his career as a player, which was out at West Oregon. He's got a lot of roots in that region. So not surprised to see him pounce on this opportunity. And Penn State, as you wrote about, as it went official on Wednesday and then on Monday night, as it was reported by 24-7 Sports, uh, Matt Zanitz, uh, that They've got a new coordinator in town already. We're going to have a two-week uh, high-profile search here. Let's face it, special teams coordinator is never going to be the headline stealer that that offensive and defensive coordinator was for the Nittany Lions in the recent months. But let's talk about the new hire. You wrote about him. Introduce him to the world. <laughs> yeah, uh, Justin Lustig from Vanderbilt. I, I, I think that when you kind of compare it to Stacey Collins, there's almost like an, an inverse there where when Stacy Collins came to Penn state two years ago, I believe it was his first time coaching East of the Mississippi. Uh, his entire background was out in the West. Um, we saw some of those connections kind of come through when Venga Ioane uh, signed uh, in that class two years ago. Um, it was kind of something a little different, some geographic diversity uh, for Penn state. Uh, and now with Justin Lustig coming from Vanderbilt, you have an eerie native, who went to Cathedral Prep, uh, the same school that produced Juice Scruggs um, and some other people who have come through the Penn State program in recent years, uh, played four years at Bucknell, uh, and then spent a year as a head coach at Edinburgh, um, also has experience at Villanova. Um, so there, there's a lot of Pennsylvania roots there. Um, you're bringing a, a Pennsylvania guy home. We, we know kind of what Penn State means to people from Pennsylvania. Uh, we know how James Franklin has... Yeah, not necessarily, not necessarily leveraged, but you know he uses the connections that people have. Whether it's Letterman coming back, you know, whether it's people that, who have connections to the area, um, you know, even you, know, you look at some of the past coordinators. You know, Mike Yersich worked in the PSAC. Uh, Kirk Chiraka was is from Pennsylvania. Like the the connections kind of you know shine through here. But you know, you're getting someone uh, in Justin Lustig who has a you know, very extensive experience. Um, you know, in FBS, he spent a lot of time at Vanderbilt, um, a lot of time at Syracuse. Uh, along the way, he accumulated some of those titles, like we talked about with Stacey Collins. He's been an assistant head coach. He's been an associate head coach. He's someone that Penn State has had on their radar, uh, going back to the search that landed up Stacey Collins two years ago. Um, so it it seems like that, you know, on paper, it, it seems like a a very good fit. Um, he's going to coach those outside linebackers and those nickels too. Um, he has experience coaching defensive backs. He has experience coaching tight ends, running backs. He had the outside receivers coach title at Syracuse. Um, you know, these special teams coordinators, the way that uh, college football kind of works, you, you have to be a little bit of a, a jack of all trades 
uh, because of how the responsibilities are split up. But yeah, I, I think that there were some, yeah, there was maybe some thought when Stacey Collins left that, okay, let's split up special teams duties between some different coaches. Let's get another full-time position coach, whether that's a, a quarterback's coach or, or something else. But uh, we know how much James Franklin really values uh, special teams and the emphasis that he's put in and the investment when you look at scholarship usage and just overall roster usage, who they pursued in the transfer portal. Um, so I'm, I think that it, this is very fitting in, in line with how Penn State has approached things. And, you know, by all accounts, it looks like they made a, a very solid hire. Yeah, and then Lustig appeared but by, by, by what we gathered to benefit from Penn State's pursuit of him a couple of years ago. He, you know, he got a new title added to, to his his verbi, uh, to his resume, I guess you could say, at, at Vanderbilt. And that came with a pay bump. I have no doubt about that. And then Penn State needs another coordinator a couple of years later as Stacey Collins moves on. Uh, they go back to that list. He's still the name near the top of it. They get it done this time. Um, and and so Stacy Collins, what well, well, we talked about, the, the same kind of role. This isn't a, a guy who's going to be kind of adding a new dimension to the staff, what he's working with based on the, what the, the releases from Penn State, the, the outside linebackers work, the nickelbacks were the nickel work, and then also uh, what he's going to be doing as special teams coordinator. But what this does show you, and you talked about it, he's a utility piece, a guy that maybe could chime in uh, from a different perspective. And I know it's at the Division II level, but James Franklin has gone on the record a few times in recent months discussing the value that he is placing on head coaching experience for guys. And, and that doesn't mean all of them are going to have power five coaching experience like Manny Diaz did coming to town after his time with Miami. But with Division Two Edinburgh, you saw him take a team. Uh, what were they? Zero and eleven the year yep. before he got there, and they ended up being the nine win team during his his time there at, at the Division Two. So he's he's proven it in a few different capacities, wearing a few different hats. So I think it's good to get this guy in the building based on what he's accomplished as a special teams coordinator, and and, and I believe tight ends were the focus during his time at, at Vanderbilt. So a little bit of an adjustment there. We also know that tight ends were the focus for Andy Kotelnicki during his time at Kansas. So you got some guys kind of adjusting to different roles in their careers right now with Penn State. But James Franklin clearly sees a fit. And I think this is the kind of guy, when you talk about the background as a player at Bucknell, about an hour away, as a head coach of the Division II level, at the high school level, um, and just the, the roots that he's established here in the state of Pennsylvania, seems like somebody who's just good to get inside your building underneath your roof because you never know what staff changes may be needed next year, the following year. And, and, and on like the recent special teams coordinator, this guy doesn't feel like he's going to be looking to the, to another region be based on family and based on background. And with Joe Lorig, even before uh, Stacy Collins, you both got the, the sense, both kind of gave you the sense that they were ultimately going to circle back and, and get out to, out West. And here you got a guy who, may be content to be sticking at Penn State for a while, and there may be opportunities and avenues for him to grow into different roles during his time in Happy Valley if things are going successfully for him and for his unit. Definitely. I think that this is a move that you can kind of project out to the long term a little bit. Um, I think when it comes to staff turnover and, and everything, you know, kind of nothing surprises you at, at this point. There, there's so much movement all the time for a variety of reasons, but you know, we've seen James Franklin do a nice job of retaining his assistance and kind of constructing a really core of his coaching staff. And I, I think when you look at Lustig coming in, I mean, I think it 
it fits very, very nicely. Um, I, you know, I am kind of curious to know kind of what he's someone where you want to ask kind of what, what his aspirations are. Cause he has that head coaching experience at the lower level. He's worked in the ACC. He's worked in the SEC. He's about to work in the big 10. Um, I think that you, you've seen a special teams coordinator and having these other responsibilities, you really have your hands in a lot of different areas. Um, and I think that you've seen it with some coaches in the NFL, like uh, John Harbaugh, having that background. It's it's something that can be conducive there. So uh, he walks into, I think, a, a pretty interesting situation in terms of you know the investment that's been made and the, the players that he's going to be coaching and some of the competitions he's going to be overseeing. Um, but I think overall, this is a, a move that, you know, barring something unforeseen, you can kind of project it out a little bit longer term than, you know, maybe you could do with Stacey Collins, maybe than you could do with Joe Lorig. Yeah, and you look at, at the, the track record here a little bit. He was a, a Broyles Award uh, nominee back in 2018. Back then he was on Syracuse's staff as a special teams coordinator. He also had the Lou Groza Award winner uh, on that squad as the, as the nation's top place kicker. Uh, you go up to Vanderbilt, more individual accolades for some of his players. Uh, Matthew Hayball, uh, punter, was a finalist for the Ray Guy Award, which goes annually to the top punter across college football. And then we talked about the consistency at long snapper with Penn State. And then they had the Manly Award winner uh, last year. Uh, well, Wesley Schelling, uh, two-time all-conference selection for Vanderbilt at the long snapper spot. And obviously, you're not going to judge special teams off of just a position or two or three. But th there's a few that you're going to spotlight and say, well, if it doesn't go well here, people are going to point to the special teams coordinator. And place kicker is one of them. Um, he's inheriting an interesting situation there. Hunter, he, you know, he's benefiting from a great decision in Penn State's <laughs> mind by the NCAA to give Riley Thompson uh, two more years of eligibility after uh, he performed at an all-conference level. There was a lot of all-conference level punters, as it turned out, in the Big Ten this year. But he projects as one of the, the, the top punting, punting returners in, in Big, Big Ten football. But that place kicker spot from the get is going to be really interesting because he wasn't the, the catalyst for bringing in the transfer from Tulsa uh, and, and, and Chase Mayer and and Stacy Collins was. And he also wasn't involved in, in you know handing out a scholarship to Sanders Sahadak, who's going to be in year four on campus now in 2024, a guy who was the top rated kicker by 24-7 sports in his class back in 2021. But we have very little to go off of in terms of on-field Saturday track records for Sahadak. And what we have to go off of isn't all that pretty. So you know, before we get to the unit overall, where I think they're, they're good in terms of some leadership that's built in there, especially with Don DeLuca uh, being a, a two-time captain here in 2024, but place kicker is really, I think, a spot where you want to get a long look at this as much as possible. And as we've mentioned before, it's not just the transfer. It's not just the, the incumbent scholarship player. But you've got Ryan Barker, who spent his redshirt year here as a, as a freshman walk-on, turning some heads. And, and it sounds like he's somebody to monitor in spring practice. Yeah, look, looking at special teams, you know, Tyler Duzanski, I think you can consider him entrenched uh, at long snapper. Um, you you look at Riley Thompson, I think you can say he's entrenched at punter, uh, especially with Alex Paquetta moving on this offseason. And so you kind of go to that kicker spot. And you know, Penn State, I think, really, really hit gold in the portal with Alex Falcons last year. I think that that was someone that they were really able to find at kind of the the right time in his career and put him in an environment where he can really thrive. 
Uh, it's going to be hard to, I think, kind of duplicate that with Chase Meyer coming in from Tulsa. You know, he is someone who has a track record of success. Um, but Alex Elkins really, really took a leap last year. So those are some big shoes to fill. And you know, competing with Sanders Ahadak, I mean, I think we we all know how much talent Sanders Ahadak has in that left leg. You watch him during warmups and Alex Falcons would get out to 55 and it would, and he told us that was his limit. And you'd see the ball kind of sneak over the upright a little bit. And Sanders to would line up from 57 and just boom it, you know, still with, with room to spare, but kind of you know, finding that consistency, trying to, to nail that down is going to be, I think one of the more under the radar storylines this off season and, and something that uh, Justin Lustig coming in is going to have to kind of figure out where he's at, where Ryan Barker is at, what Chase Meyer can do, how exactly this is going to fit together. Um, are they going to go back to kind of the split that they had with Jordan Stout and Jake Pinniger, where everything was so exact as to uh, dialed in at you know 43 yards was was the line. We didn't really see that this past year. Uh, I, I'm curious to see what his philosophy is and and how he's going to to approach things a little bit. Um, I think also you look at the return spots. That's going to be an interesting competition too, because you lose Daquan Hardy. Uh, Caden Saunders is coming back uh, as of now, and he's someone who had that punt returner role at the beginning, but he didn't kind of take that leap. There wasn't that, you know, he's very solid, but there wasn't that dynamic element um, that, that you're looking for from him. So what's that going to look like? And then even bigger picture, I think something that, is a little bit more under the radar is the the coverage teams um you know how is that going to look um i think that i was thinking about the kickoff coverage team this morning where you that's where a lot of those true freshmen this past year guys like elliot washington zion tracy tony rojas king mac that's kind of where they burn their red shirts you know if you project those guys taking on larger roles that might leave vacancies there so who is going to be what's going to be that next level that that steps up and and you know, takes over those spots. I think that's something else that I'm kind of curious to see how that shakes out. And so I, I think with special teams, I get kind of caught up in this sometimes too, in terms of just thinking kicker, punter, long snapper. Um, but there's a lot that goes into it. You can have a lot of moving parts. What happens on the defense in terms of guys having different roles on the offense, guys having different roles that affects kind of what your job is. Um, there's a lot of management that goes on and I'm kind of curious to see what, what this looks like as we go on. And, you know, I think some of these things, you know, like kickoff coverage team, we're not going to know that <laughs> until they line up at West Virginia on August 31st. Um, but the, we've seen special teams really be a good avenue for some young guys. And Justin Lustig is going to be, you know, the guy who gets to work with some of these very, very well-regarded freshmen and, and get them onto the field right away. So it's a, it's a really interesting role. There's, there's kind of, there's, there's a lot going on. I think those freshmen, will, <clears throat> excuse me, those freshmen will play a significant role on the practice field when they get special teams work underway this spring. There's no doubt about it. You've got 16 early enrollees. Not all of them are going to be out there in special teams coverage, but a big bulk of that group will be just as we saw in 2023. And that was the, the initial pathway for, for most first year players at Penn State to burn red shirt uh, in 2023. Um, we'll, we'll talk about special teams. That'll be a storyline moving forward for Penn State, but all three coordinators spots now filled with new faces. Obviously, going back a ways in November, Penn State parted ways uh, with Mike Yersich after the Michigan loss. They since replaced him with Andy Kotelnicki, who a couple days after that announcement was 
declared by 24-7 Sports as the 2023 Offensive Coordinator of the Year across college football. And then, of course, Manny Diaz, after a fantastic two-year stretch as defensive coordinator for the Nittany Lions, he's now running his own show uh, down in Durham with Duke. And since then, you've got Tom Allen, who spent almost a decade in the Big Ten East uh, as Indiana's head coach. Before that, Indiana's defensive coordinator. He is now the D.C. in Happy Valley. So now that we're all caught up, a little bit lower down the totem pole, Daniel, in terms of the staff. But James Franklin likes to have his uh, maximize his opportunities for hires. Um, and that extends to these analyst roles, which have been increasingly important across college football in all three phases of the game. We've got an analyst leaving town. We've got an analyst coming to town and I should say returning to town in that case. And you have the story up at Lions 24-7 on Tuesday. Yeah, there's there's kind of always this under the radar churn a little bit that happens at these analyst positions. Um, I, I think that it's something that you kind of expect to see. You know, we, we've seen guys come and go, um, you know, over these past couple of years as the staff gets bigger. And the latest change is uh, you know, we're seeing Calvin Lowry depart after spending one year uh, as an offensive analyst, and Mark Dupoy. I've, I didn't I didn't test that last name out before I came out uh, on here. But du, if, 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 my, if memory serves me right, Dupuy. Dupuy. There we go. He's returning to town uh, after you know, a couple years at Old Dominion with Ricky Ronnie. Uh, he's a former Penn State graduate assistant, and he'll kind of fit into that offensive analyst role uh, that was vacated by Lowry. Um, it's our understanding that you'll see Lowry resurface um, at, at some point. Um, you know, with a with an on-field coaching role somewhere. I think that that's kind of a, how these analyst jobs are used by some coaches where it's kind of a, a stopover point. Um, when you're in between jobs, you can, um, you know, collect a salary, you know, make more connections, work on their different guys, work with different guys, you know, provide different value to a program. Um, and then you can kind of take that experience and, and apply it elsewhere. Um, so I, I think that it's, you know, kind of, I, it's these moves. I, I don't really view them as a, as a huge deal. Um, I do think Dupuis coming back is, is interesting because he had success at old dominion under Ricky Ronnie. Um, his bio on the old dominion website, uh, made it clear that he was Ricky Ronnie's first hire, uh, when he got that old dominion job after the 2019 season. Um, so he's someone who has a, a wealth of experience working with wide receivers and, I think that when you talk about this wide receiver room, um, that's something that you're you're really looking to, I guess, improve and, and try to boost. Uh, Lowry worked with that group last season under Marcus Hagens too. So yeah, there's, you know, this is kind of the, I guess this is going to be kind of the, the new norm uh, in college football as these analyst staffs get bigger and bigger. Uh, guys kind of, you know, coming through for a year or two, getting this experience, moving on, you know, guys, you know, kind of, kind of like what we saw with what the it almost seemed like the plan was going to be with Dion Barnes initially, where you can almost sort of stash some of these guys that you might not necessarily have an on-field uh, place for moving forward. So, uh, you know, we James Franklin has emphasized uh, you know, these analyst jobs. Right now, they have eleven of them uh, listed in the online staff directory. We've known that there's been a couple more uh, in the past, like Ken Wisenhunt was was around the team. Uh, he was not listed in that online staff directory. So you know, the, the more bodies that you can have, the the more kind of brains you can get into the Lash building, I think is something that James Franklin really wants. And I, I think that it might be hard to see maybe the explicit benefits or the you know, the very clear benefits from the outside. But you know, we, 
the fact that James Franklin really keeps emphasizing this, banging this drum, I think kind of shows what kind of resource this has been for him. Another part of that arms race that, that Penn State's trying to deal with across college football, it extends to the staff, it extends to the roster, it extends to the financial resources, uh, on and on it goes, and, and up and up teams build. And, and just one more note on Dupuy, um, he, he, part of that Joe Moorhead uh, you know, yes. coaching movement that we saw take place where Moorhead had a few guys around him, uh, came to campus with Moorhead after spending time. Uh, with him uh, back in his previous stop. And so I, I think it's really interesting here. You've got the, the, the ties to Moorhead from from uh, Fordham. You've got the ties to Ricky Ronnie going to Old Dominion, and you've got him coming back here, uh, a guy who spent three seasons previously working with the Penn State offense. Really like this fit, and he's a guy that we've seen in the past. Daniel, I don't think you have, but we've seen him working the camp circuit in the summers. And I know that Calvin Lowry is a bit of a presence to fill with those <laughs> yes. prospect camps. So he provides it out there. I think Mark is a guy who's going to step in and fill those shoes pretty nicely as well as they're working uh, to, to find the next collection of receiver targets in the 2025, 2026, 2027 classes uh, moving forward. So uh, some some interesting stuff going on with the staff. I think things are starting to settle a bit there. Of course, we're seeing the domino effect uh, take place across Power 5 football with some of these head coaching changes uh, dictated by the Nick Saban departure in Tuscaloosa. Um, still waiting to see if there's any shrapnel from that that, that reaches Happy Valley and we got to deal with another staff, staff change from that game of dominoes. But for now, let's put our focus over on the changes from a personnel standpoint, Daniel, and, and just focus on some positions that you feel based on the, the what has transpired since the Peach Bowl, what transpired in 2023 during the season, that that position is clearly in the spotlight this semester as we work through an evolution of sorts for the entire team. But I think it's really hard to turn away from wide receiver where the addition has been Julian Fleming. It's one that commanded a lot of headlines. We've discussed it quite a bit here on the podcast. We wrote about it a bunch at lines247.com. He's now underway with life as an Indian lion. To this point, there have been some some other pursuits at wide receiver. Tyler Calvaruso has done a good job documenting that on this show. But Julian Fleming is the lone pickup at that position. I think what's more surprising to a lot of us is that Christian Driver, since the end of the regular season, is the lone departure from this position. Everybody else that was on the 2023 roster carrying a scholarship remains on the 2024 roster and the NFL draft window has closed. The uh, standard transfer portal window has closed and it's the time of the year where guys start to reset their focus with their teams. And right now it looks like it's going to be a crowded bunch at receiver as things stand uh, for Marcus Hagans for the spring semester. Yeah, when when you sent over the rundown and I, I kind of jotted in my notes, you know, I almost felt like I was cheating putting wide receiver in uh, first uh, in, under this kind of prompt. And you, you just look at it and, you know, given what transpired last year with the lack of production that you got overall and then with Keandre Lambert Smith in particular, kind of his nosedive in production at the end of the season, I, I think that you had a lot of curiosity about how things would shake out. I, I think in terms of you losing only one guy to the transfer portal. You do have to remember that there's going to be another window after spring football and the way that Penn state has things scheduled, that's going to open on April 16th, uh, which is right after the blue white game. Um, so I, I think that we've, we've seen it these past couple of years, there's been a little bit of movement, um, you know, as soon as you get to the end of spring ball. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what this competition looks like. I think back to last year when, we were hearing from James Franklin. It was uh, Keandre Lambert Smith, Trey Wallace, and everybody else. And yeah, when you're in the spring, it's kind of uh, 
you're kind of like, yeah, there's, there's a long way to go. You have a lot of runway, you know, Omari Evans, you know, maybe sort of moved into that third spot by, by the end of the, uh, by the end of spring. But by the time you get to the season that that comes quickly and no one else really stepped up for Penn state. So it's going to be really, I think that competition has the potential to be you know pretty intense, pretty fierce. I think that these guys, you know, given some of the reactions that we saw on social media uh, after the Peach Bowl, they they know what's been said about them. They, I think, they're pretty aware of what the external perception uh, of that room is. I, I think Marcus Hagens knows uh, what what the perception of that room is, and so it's it's on them. It's on someone to to step up, seize an opportunity. There are going to be chances. I mean, I think that you know, with Fleming, Keandre Lambert, Smith, and and Trey Wallace, you kind of have your you know, a, a top three penciled in, but you know, we've heard James Franklin these past two and three years talking about how he wants to get that top six. He wants to have that two deep. He wants to have that ability to rotate through guys at, at the different positions, which is something that has never really come to fruition. It seems like we're almost in the same situation as it was with the offensive line where it's kind of, you know, we're, we don't want to he- hear about it anymore. We, we just need to see it. Um, you know, come through on Saturdays. And so it's, it's going to be a big spring for that group. Um, I think that the Julian Fleming edition, as we've talked about these past couple of weeks, is is really, really big, um, you know, not just from on field, but off field and what that will look like uh, in the locker room and on the practice field. But at the same time, though, it, it all comes down to what you do on Saturdays. And this is where you lay the foundation for it. So it's going to be a, a big couple of weeks for that group. And and getting to Keandre Lambert Smith, I'm really curious to 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 hear, and hopefully we'll have a chance to hear from Keandre himself here in in, in the coming weeks, one way or another, um, and really pick his brain a little bit about how the discussions went with Kotal Nicky, um, you know, and 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 you know where it, you know, where the optimism is when when you finish the season in that way. Uh, from a production standpoint, and, and we saw the snap counts kind of dwindle late in the season a little bit compared to where it was. Um, what is kind of what is the the optimism now after talking about 2024 and what might look different? And I'm wondering how much is the slot going to be the, the big factor in that kind of conversation for Keandre Lambert Smith and and getting him to to finish his career at the highest of notes? Um, Julian Fleming to me and, and, and Trey Wallace, you know, you, you like what they can provide from an outside presence. We've seen Liam Clifford, Caden Saunders to different points, get some some varied extent of run in the slot as well. But to me, just based on what we're working with here on, on January 17th with this receiver group, it seems to me that Keandre Lambert-Smith in the slot and, and, and not necessarily exclusively working there, but predominantly working there is maybe your key to unlocking the best of this receiver room. And, you know, you, you wonder what Omari Evans like, you know, can do now in year three. And as you review the roster, all of a sudden these guys that we consider to be still kind of the new kids on the black, they got redshirt sophomore or junior next to their name. You know, Caden Saunders, redshirt sophomore. Tyler Johnson, redshirt sophomore. Omari Evans is a junior. Um, these guys aren't the new kids on the block anymore, and I think it's going to be really important by the time we get through spring ball and Marcus Higgins you know, will have a chance to – he's already had a chance to give feedback from year one with their end-of-season interviews. He can now see how that feedback has been applied, how it's been digested by this unit, and, and how this group exits you know, April 15th or whatever that date you said is the blue-white game 
is going to go a long way towards, I think, the overall vibes around this offensive attack. And uh, so Keandre Lambert-Smith and, and, and many of these others, you know, a, a guy like Malik Mega, who's predominantly been used on special teams. I know he got a little bit of run at wide receiver in the Peach Bowl, but really been a special teams guy. Um, you know, uh, Malik McLean, let's not forget about him, another six foot four figure at receiver like Mega. Um, and these are older players. And then some of the younger pieces like Anthony Ivey, um, who I mentioned, and like a Tyler Johnson, and you got a redshirt freshman and in, 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 uh, Carmelo Taylor. It just not everybody's going to get out of spring ball and feeling like they got a true legitimate chance to be a factor in September. So I still think we'll see movement in this room. But as, as you get to it, I think it's one of the surprises to me is not just that you've added a piece, we expected you'd add a piece, but that one way or another, this group is, is giving it another shot. You know, another semester, it seems. And, and likewise, Penn State's given another shot with this group. Um, and I'm really going to be compelling to follow their evolution because it's something, you know, a, a jolt was needed. And I think with Drew Aller, it's going to go a long way towards seeing a lot of familiar faces there this semester as well. And you'd imagine they're already piecing together their plan uh, for throwing the ball away from uh, official team events and, and team practices and all that. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Staying on the offense before we move on to one spot on defense, at least one spot, and, and Tyler Calvaruso jumping in to join us in just a bit. I think the offensive line as a whole, you know, if, if Juice Scruggs w was the catalyst for that uh, you know, group a couple of years ago, you had a few options. You had an All-American left tackle, Olu Fashionu at left tackle. Uh, you had uh, right tackle, Caden Wallace had such a big leap in his performance from year four to year five on campus. And then you had Hunter Norzad, who you know 
consistently was one of the better centers in Big Ten football, I thought, over the course of the year uh, after moving over from guard. All those guys have moved on. Um, Sal Wormley is a name that remains on this roster, a guy that we were wondering about uh, with that extra eligibility. He is a six-year player. He's indeed here, and, and he is indeed here. So, uh, Daniel, th there's some there's some legitimate experience here, but to me this is a new test for Phil Troutline. The first test was can you build this offensive lineup from where it's not a problem? Can you make it not a problem to where it's average? He did that. Can you make it to where it's average, to where it's considered kind of one of the better attributes for this team from a depth standpoint, from a starting five perspective? I think they accomplished that over the course of the last year. Now it's going to be, well, can you lose a bunch of pieces in one fell swoop and use that depth and use your recruiting ability and use those transfer portal pieces? Can you take another step forward this year without missing a beat? And we got a lot to learn in the next eight months before they encounter an opposing defense, Daniel. But the pieces are all there. What it looks like, who's actually playing inside, playing outside. Can a young player emerge? Uh, can a transfer player like Nolan Rucci come in and, and claim a starting job? Are there going to be three rotations in place come the West Virginia matchup? To me, this is a spot that, that I am just even more so than wide receiver because you've got a lot of positional versatility in play and you have a boatload of former blue chip talent waiting for their opportunity here it's going to be really fun to watch i think and I'm, I'm curious to see if we get any kind of hints from james franklin early on with how things are going in 2022 in that spring uh, we heard that it was basically set it and forget it with olu at left tackle where james franklin didn't really lean on his competition answer for everything it was you know pretty much like yeah olu's getting all the reps at left tackle and that was coming off of just having one start uh, in the Outback Bowl. So I'm curious to see if we hear anything you know similar along those lines from James Franklin as we go through spring ball. Um, but I think the, the competition for reps is going to be pretty fierce, I think. Um, I think that when you look at who is coming back there, you know, they don't have anyone like Olu who they're going to need to manage, um, who, you know, that they can kind of, you know, lighten his workload a little bit and let some other guys get those reps. I think that when you talk about Venga Ioane and JB Nelson, those are guys that you want them to get as many reps as possible. Um, Salim Wormley, you know, 60 year guy, that might be a little bit different um, because I think that you kind of know what he can do. You know, they didn't really rotate at right guard much last year. Um, maybe that's the one spot where you can maybe kind of set it and forget it. Um, but you talk about you know adding Nolan Rucci to the mix. Drew Shelton is going to be someone that uh, is probably going to be gunning to get a spot on the field. Uh, Anthony Donka kind of popped up on our radar as someone where oh we need to factor him in now. Um, you know a little bit sooner than maybe we thought. Javen Williams is the former five star. Uh, Chim Diono is someone whose development is going to be worth tracking. And then I think that kind of the a bit of a wild card is Cooper Cousins. How ready will he be when he gets here? What will what kind of impact might he be able to make um, as a true freshman? I, I know that we, I know the way that we've talked about with the the lines that you kind of built in a redshirt year when you talk about these guys coming in just because the adjustment is so much. But you know, we've seen Cooper Cousins at those camps. We know how much experience that he's gotten with Phil Troutline, with Frank Leonard. We know that he has the versatility to play all across the line. Um, I think that that's going to be a, a bit of a wild card this year in terms of 
you know, is there going to be a spot for him? Might they need to call on him? Um, they're just kind of, they just have so many options uh, kind of scrolling through this list right now. Um, you know, got to mention Nick Dawkins as someone who appears to be in line to compete for that center job. Um, you know, this line is just going to look a lot different. Um, it's kind of a, it's, it's an interesting situation because you're returning three guys who started games last year with Wormley, Yoane, and Nelson. But then you're also losing three guys who who started games last year with Fashnu, Norzad, and Wallace. It's a it's a pretty funny dynamic in terms of what you lost, what you're returning. Um, but you know this group, I think you're going to have to have some guys kind of take a leap, really step up, try to seize some of these jobs. Nelson's somebody that that there was so much excitement about in August, and you saw flashes of that in early fall as, as he was the first uh, left guard involved after uh, Landon Tengwall's retirement. But he was banged up for a couple of different patches of the season, including the final stretch. You know, only played a few snaps against Michigan State. I think he got in for one snap in the bowl matchup coming off of that that injury issue. So we didn't get the full scope exactly of J.B. Nelson, but, but everything we heard behind the scenes pointed towards a big year. Um, and then Nick Dawkins to me, you mentioned it. Not only is he in the mix to be the starting center for this offense, but I think he could be one of the most important leadership assets for this entire offensive unit. He's somebody that was genuinely discussed as team captain material this past offseason in 2023, despite the fact that everyone knew he wasn't going to be a starter. So when you can garner that kind of respect across the locker room among the coaching staff, because they truly felt like he's a guy who was capable of carrying the captaincy if he needed to. And, and, and so to hear that about a second string player, which he was this past year, says a lot. And so if that can translate into a, a bigger, more vocal role, and he won't have any issues stepping up to a vocal role, I promise you that. If you listen to the podcast several years now, you heard Nick Dawkins at least two or three times on the show. Very impressive young man. But from a performance standpoint, if he can step up and be that leader, you know, effective as a guy after the snap, but effective before the snap as well, which was something we heard so well, uh, so highly about Juice Scruggs and then how Hunter Norzad stepped into that role, some of their pre-snap abilities. Um, I think that that a lot of things fall into place for you if you're Phil Troutwine, if Nick Dawkins does show up here in 2024 and through spring practices and into those early stages of summer. If you say, okay, we this is our guy at center and there's not really a question there, then a lot more makes sense. If instead you're factoring in Vega Ioane or you want to get a longer look at a Cooper Cousins or who knows what else, then you're maybe impacting your guard depth. Maybe you're impacting other potential rotations that you could be utilizing. So Nick Dawkins to me is a key player. and We've addressed tackle a bunch. That is maybe the highest ceiling of any area on this roster when you talk about the assemblage of talent there. But outside of Drew Shelton and, and about a half of football for Anthony Donka, none of these guys have been out in, in the frying pan uh, facing uh, edge rushers off the perimeter and, and big-time matchups for any extended period. So fun area to watch, I think, on defense, Daniel. Got a new linebackers coach in Tom Allen. Uh, you say goodbye to Curtis Jacobs, but but you like uh, that you bring back a two-time All-Big Ten performer in Abdul Carter. Uh, Tony Rojas takes another step forward. Kobe King delivered a largely impressive first year as a starter at Mike linebacker. And I think on the defensive front, as we've addressed because of the players who've decided to return for extra years because of the, the depth that they've had at defensive end, that's an area where Deion Barnes really seems to have it all figured out. Now at safety, you say goodbye to Keaton Ellis, team captain, 
mainstay in the locker room and special teams, not a defensive mainstay. You bring back your top three safeties. I think cornerback is the area where where's the spotlight landing? Well, it shifts there pretty dramatically when you look over on the defensive side of things because Terry Smith loses the top three performers and producers from that unit, uh, guys who are going to play in the NFL, and Kalen King, Johnny Dixon, Daquan Hardy, uh, guys that can play in the perimeter, play in the slot, get after the quarterback, doing different things for that defense in their own right. They've all moved on. Kim Miller is back. He'll be a junior. He's accrued quite a bit of reps, but as largely a third or fourth guy outside of the Peach Bowl. Zion Tracy, Elliott Washington, Burn Redshirt last year as true freshman cornerbacks, but much of their work came as special teams contributors until that Peach Bowl again when young players needed to step up. And so you've got a Davian Collins, but then you've got Four new players who just jumped into the fray in January. Two freshmen that are highly thought of out of Mandarin High School in Jacksonville, Florida, and Antoine Belgrave Shorter and John Mitchell. And then two former SEC impact players. Uh, and I guess I can't necessarily say uh, that, that in A.J. Harris's case, he was an impact player. But as a true freshman, he burned red shirt in the defensive backfield with the two-time defending champion Georgia Bulldogs. And then in the case of, of, of Kimber, uh, you know, he plays at not just Georgia to start his career, but then goes to Florida, uh, starts a bunch of games. And so this is a group that when you talk about what happened in the Peach Bowl and, and the weeks leading up to it, to where we are now in mid-January, it has transformed in a very significant way. And there are big shoes to fill, but they seem to have the components that Terry Smith wants to work with. And I, I think we could still view this as a high-end position group by the time they figure out the plan comes next September. It's kind of a, a cliche that gets used uh, sometimes in these conversations, but it feels like Penn State, you, know, you talk about losing three guys to the NFL, your mind kind of goes to rebuilding a little bit in that position group. But I think with the way that things have gone, it's a lot more of a retooling there when you bring in these guys with experience from the transfer portal. Um, you know, we know that Cam Miller has a boatload of experience through two years. We know that Zion Tracy and Elliot Washington, they got their feet wet this year in a, in a pretty big way through special teams and you know, playing at the end of these blowouts. And then you know, we saw the, the Peach Bowl. I mean, I think that they've gotten a ton of valuable experience. So I, I think that Penn State did a really nice job of restocking that room, both through the transfer portal for kind of the immediate impact, but then also keeping in this kind of, you know, building through the high school ranks, having a very strong foundation. Uh, when you talk about guys like Tracy and Washington, and then Antoine Belgrave Shorter and John Mitchell, um, I, I think that Penn State has done a good job of, um, especially in the in the cornerback room of recruiting for sustainability, and then going to the portal um, to you know, fill some of these holes to, to add some talent um, that you can have. And especially with uh, AJ Harris, that's a guy who's going to be here for at least two years. Um, so you have someone that you can develop uh, a little bit. And, you know, we saw Johnny Dixon come in as someone who had experience uh, in the SEC. Uh, he came in and we saw what he left as. Um, I, I think that, you know, Terry Smith has shown that he can take these guys and uh, turn them into NFL caliber players or players that you can use all over the defense. So that cornerback room is it's going to be a lot of competition there. Um, I think that some of these battles uh, that we won't get to see too much of, but you know, in spring practice between the wide receivers and the cornerbacks, it's going to be guys uh, you know really competing, really going for their playing time. You know, James Franklin loves to say it's the most competitive environment 
um, in college football. And I think that those two rooms are, are where you're going to see it. Um, but that cornerback room, you lose three NFL guys, but <laughs> you're coming back and you're like, yes, it's still pretty talented. Uh, it's a really a testament to, to Terry Smith and company. Four additions in the cornerback room here in the, for the for the winter semester semester and for spring ball. And then meanwhile, in that wide receiver room, just one addition. Uh, so you're right. Those battles are going to be interesting. It's been a bit of a reset at cornerback. There are some familiar faces. And and, and to this point, receiver room, you, you, you kind of just tack on Julian Fleming to what you finished the season with. And it's a group that we are well familiar with. And they're trying to change the narrative around. And this cornerback room is trying to say, hey, we're still here. You know, we're not going to be a, a slip off kind of position uh, concern. And so that should be a really interesting battle uh, for 15 practice periods come spring ball. Daniel, let's finish with some basketball conversation before we get to Tyler Calvaruso. Tyler's got a little bit more perspective on these freshman enrollees. A few in particular we're going to spotlight. We're also going to get to the junior day recruiting event coming up in just a matter of, of days here in Happy Valley. Uh, but Daniel, big win Tuesday night. It was a late tip off uh, at the BJC. And ultimately, Penn State goes toe-to-toe with number 11, Wisconsin. It's a back-and-forth battle late. They withstand it, and, and they come away with the victory that, that sends fans dashing onto the court. Um, as Mark Brennan wrote about in his top takes late on Tuesday night, it was a validated court rush for Penn State. And, and since we really did a bit of a progress report on the team a couple weeks ago, it, it has been up and down. A close loss to Northwestern, followed by a blowout loss against Purdue. Um, and then a matchup here where you wouldn't have been surprised if another blowout developed. And instead, Penn State picks up the win. They're 9-9 nine and nine now on the season, one game below 500 in Big Ten play. The floor is yours here, sir. What are we making of this performance for Penn State? And what are you learning about the Nittany Lions as Big Ten conference action really gets into the, the meat, uh, the nitty gritty of it all? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it was a really, really fun basketball game last night at the Bryce Jordan Center. Um, I, I think that, you know, going into it, you know, me and Mark were talking where it was a, a 9 p.m. tip. Uh, there was a snow day. Uh, the you know, weather in, in Happy Valley yesterday was, you know, was pretty tough in the morning. So, you know, classes got canceled. People that maybe might make the drive in, um, you know, already probably weren't thinking about it because of the 9 p.m. tip. And then you had the weather on top of it. And, you know, we thought that there is the potential for the BJC to be really, really dead last night. Um, you know, we you everyone knows kind of what that building can be like uh, on, on certain days and certain situations. But, you know, I, you have to give a, a ton of credit to Mike Rhodes and the BJC and the administration for adjusting on the fly. I mean, you get the announcement yesterday afternoon that, um, you know, students can get in free with their IDs. Then later on, you get the announcement of discounted chicken baskets. And I think kind of, you know, putting it out there, you know, Mark had a had a good line and his top takes where you, know, you don't know how the students were were spending uh, their their snow day, what they're doing in the those hours leading up to 9 p.m. And but the end result was a, a group that was you know pretty juiced up. I mean, I, I think that they announced an attendance of 8000 people. Um, I, I think that, you know, maybe 60 percent of that, 70 percent of that could have been students you know, based on, you know, how they filled up the student section and then, you know, people just scattered around, around the lower bowl. I mean, it was, it ended up being a really fun environment. It was a really fun game. I think that you look at Penn State's, uh, you know, their, some of their other big wins this year, you had the big comeback against Ohio State and you had a, you know, you had a comeback against Michigan. 
um, at the Plestra. I mean, but this game was, you know, they jumped out early and they held, you know, they didn't have to, uh, you know, erase this huge deficit, um, you know, even though they gave up the lead or they get yeah, it became a tie game. It never felt like they actually collapsed. Um, it just kind of ended up being a heavyweight fight with guys going back and forth. And Penn State just never blinked. You know, Kanye Clary scored 27. Ace Baldwin had 20. Nick Kern had 15. Um, you saw a really balanced effort. You had a guy like Demetrius Lilly, who's barely played this year, come off the bench, play 19 minutes, uh, and give you really good energy down low. Um, you kind of saw a, a total team performance, which we haven't really seen too many times this year. So uh, it was just a, a fun basketball game. I mean, 87-83, a ton of points, a ton of action. Both teams shot the ball really well in the second half. Um, and I, I think that it's kind of the it's the type of game where you you feel like something is being built. You, you kind of see what Mike Rhodes's vision is a little bit. Um, you, you see the work that he's done in terms of trying to connect, um, you know, with the community and with the students and trying to get people to come out to the games. Um, I think that you kind of saw that work, uh, you know, yield results yesterday in terms of the number of students who were there in terms of that kind of crowd that you got on, you know, that type of day. Um, it was just kind of a, you know, we'll see. I mean, they can turn around and lose to Ohio State on on Saturday, and some of it goes out the window a little bit. But I think that you were kind of starting to see some of this work that Rhodes has put in yield results. Um, you know, you've seen these players develop um, over the course of the season. I think that it's a win that you come away from it and you just feel really good about it. Um, you know, if you're Penn State, so it was it was super fun. Um, I. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, one of the writers from the Daily Collegian, Max Ralph, he had a kind of funny tweet that I saw this morning where, you know, it was like 1030 last night. You know, I was pretty tired. I had that cup of coffee. But when you're in the game, you, you kind of looked up at the time and you're like, oh, this doesn't feel like 1030. This doesn't feel like 1045. Um, you know, it was really that type of game. So, you know, in terms of what we were expecting and what we got, um, it was it was just pretty cool. And it was just kind of a, you know, fun game, not something you, you see every week. And. I think that Penn State, you know, can use this as a building block moving forward. Penn State only plays two games in the next two weeks, both of them Saturday, Big Ten matchups. They're at Ohio State this Saturday, then they're home against Minnesota next Saturday. And we'll see if this serves as a springboard, but we are expecting more of a roller coaster uh, experience for Penn State and Big Ten basketball play, right, Daniel? Oh yeah, it's you look at Ken Palm and there's uh, some some 50% games coming up and it's, you know, the Big Ten is a it's a weird league this year. I think that you've got three teams that I labeled publicly as potentially finishing in the bottom four and playing on that Wednesday uh, have big wins in the past three days with Maryland beating Illinois, Michigan beating Ohio State and Penn State beating Wisconsin. Um, so I think that it's shaping up to be anyone can beat anyone at any time. And I think if you're Penn State, if you have the chance to jump on someone, you really got to take advantage. Good stuff. Uh, Daniel and Mark Brennan both have coverage uh, up from Tuesday night's uh, Penn State basketball action. They have Penn State basketball covered throughout the season and obviously a bunch going on regarding the football program right now uh, from Daniel over at Lions247.com. Appreciate the conversation we're going to get into with uh, Tyler Calvaruso now, but I'll catch up with you real soon. Thanks, Tyler. Stay warm today. All right, you too.
Uh, let's get over to Tyler Calvaruso as promised, and uh, he's been standing by with us. Tyler, good to see you. Uh, we just spent a bunch of time sorting through and catching up a bit, uh, some staff movement, uh, the dust settling with roster movement. We're going to continue that with you a bit, and we're also going to look forward with some recruiting coverage because a big event coming to Happy Valley this weekend. First and foremost, how you doing? Doing well, man. Hope you guys are holding up all right there with the weather and everything. Uh, we're good, man. We signed up for it. And I, I would say it's Big Ten weather, but now we've got Los Angeles as part of that conversation. So I guess I can't use that phrase anymore. <laughs> but yeah, we're in the thick of it with winter. And yet Penn State keep things pretty hot in, in terms of what we're covering over at lines247.com. Uh, you've got a lot of coverage going on right now for the Junior Day event. They are building quite a guest list. Uh, the first of those is this Saturday. You and I are going to break down some of those early names to know. A bunch more coverage over at lines247.com for VIP subscribers. But I want to pick up on a bit of the, the, the discussion that Daniel and I just had about now that these guys are here, now that they're getting settled into campus life and, and, and life as a Nittany Lion, what do we make of some of these additions? And I, I think we've kind of put a large focus on some of the five, six top names in this recruiting class since signing day, um, which is understandable because they're highly rated and we think they're going to be really good Nittany Lions players. But there's a few others that I know we wanted to circle back here with you. Brian Doan did a great job last week going player by player with this early enrollment class just about and giving us a lot of background and a lot of context. And I know that you're going to add to that here with a few different names. And, and one of which is kind of played second fiddle, I guess you could say on his own defensive line in Penn state's recruiting class. Cause he shared it with uh, Jalen Harvey down at Quince orchard uh, and Xavier Gilliam, a guy who made his moves uh, as a basketball athlete early in the high school career when he was playing for Wild Lake uh, in uh, Columbia, Maryland. He ends up finishing his career at Quince Orchard, which is more of a high-profile football program, and he looks every bit the part as a senior. He's going to be playing inside for the Nittany Lions. And, and what do you want to get to here with Xavier Gilliam, who is here on campus among those 16 early enrolled freshmen? I think he's a guy who deserves a lot more a lot more love and attention than he's probably gotten publicly. You know, just he committed early. You know, he committed in June. He was part of that big group of commits that decided to wrap things up during June official visit season. His official visit took place during the first weekend of June, and he was among the first to pop coming out of that weekend. I remember, you know, early in his high school career, like you said, he really made his name on the hardwood. He was always, you know, really solid on the football field as well, you know, playing defensive end a lot. So there were early questions about, you know, where would he project at the next level and what could he do at the next level on the defensive line? I think, you know, that versatility, he could play inside and on the edge. That versatility is a nice, you know, little aspect of his game. And really, there's a lot of excitement about Gilliam internally and what he's going to be able to accomplish at Penn State. They think he's a guy who takes really well to coaching. He's going to be able to get to work with Deion Barnes and really come along nicely in his development, maybe quicker than some people, you know, are anticipating. You know, his motor has been praised by multiple people. He's just really good kid who, now that he's in town, is going to be, you know, looking to make an impact early one of many who's going to be looking to make an impact early so Xavier Gilliam is definitely one of the few guys I'm keeping a really close eye on now that they're officially on campus enrolled you know getting rolling with classes getting rolling in the offseason program I think we'll be talking about him a lot more moving forward than we did during his recruitment I think he's one of those guys who could definitely surprise some people moving forward and again maybe earlier than some people anticipate 
I know his raw athleticism as he was, you know, transitioning from a, a basketball kind of guy to a, a power five, genuine power five football prospect stood out to Penn State. And the athleticism was a foundation of a lot of that power five recruitment process. But I think what really stood out in conversations with Nindy Lyons coaches was that he is like in the 280 pound range at six foot two, but he doesn't look like that. You know, it, it is, it is, this is a, a situation where um, much like Zane Duran, I think is what the comparisons that, that I've heard uh, in terms of somebody who had success coming to campus as uh, maybe you could label him a bit of a tweener prospect, but bought into defensive tackle, did what was necessary from a nutritional standpoint, followed that path, and he ends up being a starter for you by year two at defensive tackle. Um, now, is Xavier Gilliam in position to be a starter by year two? Uh, that, that's a lot to project right now, but I think that they see similarities right there and how they laid things out with Durant and what may be available for Gilliam, who as a senior – uh, playing alongside Chop Robinson, went for 15 tackles for loss and six sacks. It was a first-team all-metro selection. Uh, let's get to a, another one of those defensive linemen from the DMV out of Friendship Collegiate Academy in Washington, D.C., DeAndre Cook. And, and I know this is somebody that you want to talk about trying to figure out where's the fit as a defensive end, as a defensive tackle. This is one that I think Penn State takes a lot of pride in because they evaluated – just about earlier than anybody else at the on the power five scene that interior was where that highest ceiling was in place and and, and cook embraced that and as word got around by the way that other teams started to, to gravitate towards him being a defensive tackle on the recruiting trail but penn state had a head start in that regard this is a guy who closed out his senior season with three sacks in a state championship he was the game mvp he had 10 sacks as a senior uh, despite the fact that he was banged up and, uh, with an injury for, for much of the year, I, I was told a high ankle sprain was impacting him and yet puts together a, a really dominant finish to his senior season. And he's somebody that comes to campus. And, and so much of what you have gathered on from him has occurred as a defensive end. You start to project those measurables. You start to project his 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 style of play to the interior. And, and, man, they didn't lose anything at defensive tackle coming out of the 2023 season. They got guys coming back for extra years, and yet the, the bottom of the depth chart, I feel like, is continuing to get in a better and better place. And this is a position room that is pretty stocked up with DeAndre Cook as being a, a part of that process now. Yeah, Deion Barnes has done a nice job building up the depth, on specifically on the interior of the defensive line. You just mentioned it with everyone coming back. You know, you're welcoming a pretty impressive group of interior defensive linemen to campus in this 2024 class. DeAndre Cook among them. He's another guy who played second fiddle on his own defensive line in high school. You know, friendship had Dylan Stewart, you know, the elite South Carolina sign. He played defensive end. So Cook might have been taking a backseat to him, but his production kind of spoke for itself. And he, you know, he might be a little bit longer term of a projection than Xavier Gillum. He kind of reminds me of Ty Blanding from the 2023 class. If you go look at it measurably wise, Ty Blanding coming out of Christ the King in New York was 6'3", 275. DeAndre Cook, I believe, is around 6'4", 260, 270. I think he's added some good weight. So they're similar in terms of their measurables. And I think, you know, like Blanding, he's a guy who could probably, you know, use a year or two to get acclimated to everything. But I think he's got a pretty high ceiling to him. I think that the staff, you know, that was something that it recognized relatively early. And I like the projection on the interior. I think he does have the potential to be an impact guy on the interior in the Big Ten. You know, it might not happen quickly. He might have to, you know, put in some more work in the weight room and things of that nature. But Penn State's excited about his potential as well. So down the road, DeAndre Cook could definitely be a guy for Deion Barnes and his interior defensive line rotation. 
McCook announced at 6'4", 270 on signing day. And, and I told Tyler when we were getting ready for this episode, you know, send me like five names from this early enrollment group that you think maybe we didn't hit on enough uh, you know, the first couple of weeks of the month and, and or, or, you know, coming out of signing day and things are getting you know, settled in with this group. And you went heavy on defensive line. Mm-hmm. You know, you went four defensive linemen. We're through two of them. We'll go to the guy who was a top ranked defender in this entire class, was initially offered as an offensive lineman. And that's Liam Andrews. Uh, I know Brian Doan, when he came on the, the last episode, spoke so highly about what Andrews could offer as an offensive lineman. He was calling him maybe you know, a, a potential first-round pick projection someday as an offensive lineman. Maybe we have more to learn about him as a defensive lineman, but Penn State, I know the defensive staff had no qualms with taking the baton in this recruitment process. There was a bit of a transition period where you've got to get Deion Barnes up to speed on Liam Andrews and Liam Andrews up to speed on Deion Barnes, but we're well past the recruitment process now. Let's talk about the prospect that Penn State added and why you wanted to include him in this conversation. Yeah, you know, going back to when Liam Andrews committed to Penn State in July, he kind of struck me as one of those guys, given his upside and, you know, just his entire makeup as a recruit. We saw him when he was an offensive line prospect primarily, and he was dominant. And, you know, word is he has the same sort of dominant potential on the defensive side of the ball. I do think we need to learn more about him on that side of the ball, and he's working his way back from shoulder surgery. But I do think that, you know – he wouldn't be one of those guys that if he pushed for playing time early. It's going to be tough given the depth chart and the experience that does return now on the interior. But if he's one of those guys who, you know, his talent kind of forces his way into the conversation, it wouldn't surprise me. It's probably more of a, you know, 2025 thing in that regard now that, you know, he's working his way back from injury and Penn State is in a good place on the interior of its defensive line in terms of numbers and experience. But I really like Liam Andrews' upside. I mean, he's a top 24-7, solidified top 24-7 guy really throughout the cycle. And I think once he gets comfortable playing on the interior of a Big Ten defensive line, I think the toughness that he played with as an offensive lineman definitely carries over to the defensive side of the ball. That's another thing. You know, we talked about Cooper Cousins a lot and his toughness that we saw out of him on the camp circuit. And when you could see that out of a lineman, it speaks volumes because the pads aren't even on. Liam Andrews had a similar kind of fire and toughness and just every rep he was locked in and giving it 110%. And I think he brings that to the defensive side of the ball as well. So that's something the Penn State staff is going to like to coach up. And as he goes on in his development, he's another one who I think can be a guy for Barnes on his interior rotation moving forward. And at 6'4", 260 pounds, I think when he gets in some space, he starts to move like a linebacker. You know, th- th- this is there's a suddenness yeah, to, to his movement at that size. And I'm really he's somebody that I think when we get uh, a chance to see uh, maybe in the weight room in, in January, when they let us in there, usually in February, when we get a chance to do that in February of 2025, he could look so different than the guy who signed with Penn State. And I, I just think that he's kind of got that skyrocket possibility in terms of, of his conditioning and physicality as that could grow here at Penn State. But I know they think he can be really special for them on the interior. And what really stands out to the staff is a level of urgency that Liam Andrews seems to bring to his football career. That 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 is certainly present for the 60 minutes of action that occur on the field when, when the whistle is blown. But I think generally day to day, he is a guy who understands the big picture and has, has, has done a lot for himself to set up for this moment uh, at Penn State. Uh, the last guy you had looked, uh, listed here for the defensive line, and he's arguably the wild card of this class. And 
Brian Doan laid things out a bit as well here in this case with T.A. Cunningham, who was very early on the, the national kind of conversation about the 2024 recruiting class several years ago um, and, and did some really impressive things on, on the field early on in his high school career, but largely kind of known nationally, I would say, as a guy who spent a lot of time transferring, made some, some marquee transfer movement, but didn't play a lot of football along the way. And so here he is. Uh, he already put out a tweet about how he's excited about all the assets and, and tools at, at his disposal here at Penn State. One of the big things that we heard uh, coming out of signing day was Penn State feels like when they got T.A. Cunningham in their in their clutches, I guess you could say, and, and got him here on campus, that they just felt like he was going to take to the culture and that they were going to have an opportunity to come away with a real steal of a prospect here. As we talked about, you're, you're, you're discussing the guy who was projected as a top 50 to top 100 prospect early on in his career. Uh, he's physically one of the bigger defensive linemen on your roster as soon as he steps foot in the door. And you've got four years to figure out if this is a fit, starting here with year one, which to me, based on everything that has led up to his enrollment, year one is going a long way in determining what the college career trajectory is for this young man. You know, that tweet that you mentioned is actually the exact reason I wanted to talk about him today. We've talked about T.A. Cunningham a bunch, you know, probably more than any other guy that we just referenced. He's come up in conversation quite frequently. But I think that tweet kind of speaks volumes for those who missed it or either aren't into social media or anything like that. He posted on uh, January 11th, shortly after enrollment, he posted, Thank you, Jesus, for the athletic resources and support staff I have access to. Amen. And really, you know, T.A. Cunningham, we've talked a lot about his high school career and how he moved around a lot and there wasn't a lot of stability and how moving forward, we thought that him getting in an environment that was significantly more stable and structured would be big for him. And I think that post, and I think he's kind of already realizing what it is going to mean for him to be in that kind of structured environment now where he can be a creature of habit and just focus on football and doing what he needs to do on and off the field and in the classroom. I, I think that, when T.A. Cunningham is locked in, like I foresee him being now that he has that structure and comfort and doesn't have to worry about, you know, what school he's going to be playing for next or anything like that, what state he's going to be living in, I think he has as much ability as any defensive lineman in Penn State's 2024 recruiting class. So I'm really excited to see where his development takes him. I definitely agree with the assessment that year one will be big as well, probably as much mentally as physically. You know, the, he already has a Big Ten body. We've known that really for months that he was equipped to play in the Big Ten physically. You know, mentally, how does he adjust to the rigors of a college football program? How does he adjust to the physicality of playing on the interior of a Big Ten defensive line? I think he'll be able to get going in that regard, but that'll be a very, very interesting factor to monitor when it comes to T.A. Cunningham. But really excited to see where his development takes him because, again, I think he's got as much upside and talent as any defensive lineman Penn State signed in December. His mom and dad were college basketball players. He's six foot five, uh, 285 pounds, according to, to Penn State's initial listing uh, for Cunningham. And, and someone will be tracking closely. Uh, look, curious to hear about how it's going for him through this first semester before they even get to the field in, in March. Uh, and, and then I think you hit it on the head here with your fifth name, which is going to keep us in the trenches, but get us over to offense. This is probably the least discussed prospect in this class, in my opinion, because of the guys who are at the top of the position board uh, within the class and because of, of just what is going on with ratings and rankings. And so he's a three-star and he's Egan Boyer uh, out of, out of Hugh, out of uh, Cornelius, North Carolina, a 
player that committed to Penn State, uh, along with a lot of other players in, in a bit of a spree, um, er, late spring, early uh, summer time frame. Uh, Three-time uh, Letterman down there, a uh, big-time performer for a conference championship team as a senior. And yet we've got names like Garrett Sexton and Cooper Cousins and Donnie Harbour um, that – carry larger ratings and rankings. And we've got a tackle position that we're already pretty fixated on younger components like former five-star Javen Williams and former top 24-7 prospect Jim Diono, and now another former five-star entering the mix and Nolan Rucci. And yet you've got Egan Boyer here and saying, let's get to him a little bit. What do you want to discuss about a guy who also enrolled? And as I said, did so really under the radar compared to so many other components. He is also six foot eight, 250 pounds, which is a very unique measurement for any offensive lineman you'll see across college football. And one that we can certainly confirm, not a lot of guys look like Egan Boyer at Penn State prospect camps in the last several years that I've covered. And Phil Troutwine absolutely, you know, is going to be flexing if three or four years down the road, this young man turns out to be a bona fide Big Ten offensive lineman. It's kind of like the Xavier Gilliam of the offensive side of the ball when you think about it in terms of lack of attention and, you know, coming up in conversation. He hasn't been a guy we've talked about a lot since he committed. But really, it was really important, I'd say, for Ian Boyer to be an early enrollee because you mentioned the 6'8", 250, and he's got a ton of upside with that frame. But it's key for him to get in the weight room and get to work with Chuck Losey and him being at Penn State in January, that helps him a great deal when it comes to his physical development moving forward. You know, upside and frame was a big reason why Penn State took Egan Boyer and was so interested in him throughout his recruitment, kind of like Garrett Sexton. You know, you project, if you're Phil Trotwell, what you could do with these guys when you get them coached up and when they grow into their frames. You know, Ian Boyer has a frame where he could add a lot more weight, and it'll be good weight, and it won't strip him of any of the athleticism that makes him an intriguing offensive line prospect. At least that is the hope, right? You hope that he adds some pounds and, you know, his athleticism as a pass protector at tackle remains intact. And I think Penn State is confident that he'll be able to accomplish that physical development. So Boyer in town, already at work in the weight room and everything like that. So it's another development that's going to be very intriguing to follow because, Again, if, if you hit on a guy who is six foot eight and athletic and can do a lot of different things for you at tackle, you're talking about a guy who maybe has, you know, NFL draft potential. You know, the NFL loves guys with frames like that. So we got to see where Boyer's physical development takes him. On field, his tape is solid. So I think he definitely, you know, the skill set is there. It's going to come down to the physical side of things for him. He's, he's a three-star, uh, 46 tackle overall in 24-7 sports rankings. And so when you, when you include him in a conversation where you've got guys like Rucci, Drew Shelton, Anthony Donka, Javen Williams, Chimney Ono, Alex Birchmeyer, Garrett Sexton, Cooper Cousins, who preceded him to campus. Uh, well, actually, Rucci didn't. He got to campus around the same time. But those are all five-star guys, four-star guys. So one of the least talked about members of this class and maybe one of the least talked about offensive linemen that have been brought in under the, the, the watch of Phil Troutwine in recent years. And as we said, a bit of a fascinating case study in the coming years to see where it goes for the 250 pounder at six foot eight. I will say this, he's already got that, that violent nature in place. We saw some of that on the prospect camp. I think that's very much evidence 
by his senior season of film. So you don't have to figure out how to guy make a guy bigger and more angry. I, I think he's a guy who already plays football angry, and now you try to equip him with the physical tools to be able to do that against a power five defenders on, on a daily basis. Uh, appreciate the perspective, Tyler, as we worked our way through those names. And I know we want to jump in to finish off this episode with some junior day coverage, and there's been plenty of it over at lines247.com as you've been confirming names. And we've got others uh, contributing to that as well. Uh, Brian Doan, Alan True, Steve Wiltfong uh, have been helping with updates about who's heading to Happy Valley uh, this weekend and some upcoming opportunities this winter. But Tyler, keeping the focus on Saturday's Junior Day event, we've, we've got a few guys to talk about. Um, and why don't we get right to it with a legacy that has been a, an interest for the Nittany Lions and Nittany Lions fans for quite some time now but he is not someone we've seen around campus very often. Yep, Anthony Sacker will be back in town for the first time since October 2022. That was the whiteout against Minnesota. Long time. Yeah, for those who don't remember what it, the significance of that day was, that was the whiteout win over Minnesota, and that was the last time Anthony Sacker was in town. He was looking to get back to campus during the fall. His schedule didn't really align. He did make some other visits during the fall. Actually got to see Penn State play when he visited Ohio State in October, and he was – when the Fighting Irish hosted Ohio State in September. And I mentioned those visits specifically because I'd say those are the three teams, you know, most firmly in the mix for Anthony Sacco right now. Michigan is there as well, but Ohio State, Notre Dame, Penn State are the three standing out right now, I'd say. I've heard some good things about where Penn State is at with Anthony Sacco. I mean, I've had the chance to talk to him, and, you know, Penn State remains a program that he is planning on taking an official visit to when the time comes. But, you know, it's, it's a tough race between Ohio State and Notre Dame. And Penn State right now, you know, the Nittany Lions are fighting the fight. And this is a big opportunity for the staff getting him back to town this weekend. It's been a while. The relationships are pretty good. You know, they, they've always been pretty good. But uh, it's important to get him back to campus. And that's what Penn State is doing this weekend. Osaka is uh, number 25 in linebacker ratings at 24-7 sports. He's inside the top 24-7 at number 215. Overall, the number six player in the state of Pennsylvania at, at the Philadelphia powerhouse St. Joe's Prep. Uh, and a guy that we saw attend Penn State camp back in 2022. I don't believe he participated, but he was just there. And he see, you know, seemed to have a great relationship with a lot of the coaches out there just chatting on the field and uh, a specimen to be sure. But it has been a while since he's been on campus, as, as you just covered. And so we'll see if, if, if some things uh, can be accelerated a bit between the two parties as he gets back to town has a chance to, to share uh, rooms with coaches and, and fellow prospects. Uh, another in-state component of the, the plans for Saturday, Alex Tache, uh, linebacker at a Latrobe uh, in, in here in Pennsylvania, six foot two, uh, 211 pounds, does not yet have a rating or ranking from uh, lines 24-7 or 24-7 sports, I should say. Uh, but Penn State is among several Power 5 offers to this point. Boston College, Cincinnati, Duke, Maryland, Pittsburgh, South Carolina, Stanford, Syracuse, Southern Cal, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, and Wisconsin are among schools that see a potential fit with Alex Tash. What are you hearing regarding the in-state linebacker? And, and, and as we said, when he was initially offered, whenever the Nittany Lions determine they want to target someone at this position in the state of Pennsylvania, you, you should be paying close attention to the situation. Yeah, Penn State's the crystal ball favorite right now, and I'll probably join in there with a prediction at some point here soon based on the way this one has been trending. I think going back to last month, I, I mentioned him as a guy who I'd be surprised if he didn't wind up at Penn State. So I think that kind of speaks to where this one's been heading. You know, him getting back to campus this weekend, it's uh, it's significant. He's visited Penn State more than anywhere. 
in his recruitment. He's got the offer. Penn State is essentially his leader ahead of this visit. So is this a, is this a situation where, you know, maybe the Nittany Lions are able to seal the deal with a top end day target? It's possible. You know, we've seen these junior days net, net commitments in the past, whether it be immediately or, you know, the residual effect down the road. The Nittany Lions are able to seal the deal with the guy, doing large part to what he experienced and, you know, his interactions with the staff during the junior day experience. But Tasha's a guy Penn State has liked for an extended period of time. And he has liked Penn state for an extended period of time. The interest is very much mutual. And I think the Nittany Lions are in a good spot to get this one done sooner rather than later. Staying in state for another name here and going back to Philadelphia. And in particular, we're going to MOTEP Institute, uh, Jabri Wallace Coleman, a 2025 running back prospect, spent some time committed to the Georgia Bulldogs, which is obviously going to get your attention. He's coming back to campus this Saturday, uh, he's also visiting a school that has two commits at running back in the 2025 class. So what do we make of how things are are, are shaping up from Wallace Coleman's perspective and, and as he moves forward from that Georgia commitment? And then from J1 Sider and Penn State's perspective, as they've already got a couple guys on board at running back for that next cycle. Let's start with what Penn State already has on board. You know, staff's really high on what Tyke Hayes and Keandre Barker bring to the table. Right. But this is recruiting. And, you know, the staff's going to stay on guys at positions because, one, you don't know what's going to happen with a guy like Keandre Barker who's committed to Texas. Now, granted, he has – he's remained very locked in with Penn State since his commitment. You know, he hasn't even really given other schools much attention or consideration. And he's gotten some solid offers. I mean, Oregon was one of them. I believe Auburn offered. So he's, you know, received some pretty intriguing – outside interest and he's remained pretty locked in with Penn State not even really giving those schools a second look will that remain the case again you just don't know because it's recruiting and he's an out-of-state guy an out-of-region guy at that you know you just gotta you know sometimes you gotta continue to recruit positions for that reason there's the other side of that is you know Penn State is never going to turn down the opportunity to add talent it feels is you know very very good and it's not gonna turn away guys evaluations they love so we're gonna have to see where things go with Wallace Coleman, you know, he's an Imitep guy, so that's notable. He was committed to Georgia. I mean, really that decision, uh, you know, back off is coming to the Bulldogs. Fran Brown played a really big part in Jabri Wallace Coleman's recruitment. Obviously, he is at Syracuse now as the head coach, so I think he wants to get a second look at things. But, uh, you know, Penn State, you never want to shut the door on guys that you like. I think he's one of them. Alvin Henderson is another one, you know, top 24-7 running back for Alabama who's going to be on campus this weekend. He probably Henderson probably factors more to that, you know, like elite evaluation conversation than Wallace Coleman, but Penn State has maintained contact with running backs and, you know, those are two of them and they're going to be in town this weekend. So we're going to have to see what comes of that. Another name to finish things off here for this episode. And by the way, there are a lot more names and, and oh, yeah. context about this junior day over at lines247.com for our VIP subscribers. We have a 30% uh, new subscriber deal going on right now. If you want to take a peek at what's cooking at lines247.com uh, leading up to these recruiting weekends. But uh, we got really familiar with KJ Winston during his sophomore year in 2023. Uh, took a hold of that starting safety position next to, uh, next to uh, Jalen Reed and, and really ran with it, a guy that I think next year is going to be on the all big 10 radar on a lot of NFL teams radar as a junior um, and his younger cousin Kanoa Winston is on just about everybody's radar at the power five level he is the number two safety in the country in 24 7 sports assessment at Gonzaga high school down in Washington DC 
He is number 27 overall in our top 24-7 for the 2025 class. And he's a guy that has been back to Penn State a few different times. We like the momentum that has been in place leading up to this point. Look, he's got about 30 offers on the table right now, Tyler, but it feels like Penn State's got another chance to, to push things forward here with one of the most coveted defensive backs in the country. Yeah, it's definitely another chance for Penn State to kind of separate itself from the field and, you know, solidify its status as Kanoa Winston's leader. And, I mean, Penn State loves this kid. The skill set is elite. You know, they're plenty familiar with him, you know, with KJ already on board. They're familiar with the family. Very familiar with Kanoa at this point in his recruitment. The relationships that are in place there, I mean, between him and the staff are really, really good. I don't think, you know, he's necessarily in a rush to get things done. Ohio State's in the picture now. I believe he's looking to make it out to Columbus to for a visit at some point. He visited North Carolina last weekend. So I don't think Winston's you know, in a hurry to get his recruitment done, but Penn State has accomplished a lot with him early on. And I anticipate this one continuing to head in a good direction for the Indy Lions this weekend. And, and by the way, a, a very accomplished sprinter in the track and field yeah. scene is Winston, a guy who holds Gonzaga's school record for the 200-meter dash at 21.58 seconds. And Gonzaga is one of those schools that has uh, div Division One caliber college athlete prospects all over the campus down there and, and all sorts of sports. So big-time talent making his way. Uh, any final words? And maybe we'll get you back on at the end of this week to, to add some more final words. But if we don't, uh, on this Junior Day event, which shapes up to be uh, a significant one and and the first real recruiting opportunity of 2024 as we see Penn State start to get settled in with new staff members and and perhaps some new approaches as they re refine their strategy year by year. Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, this is going to be the first full junior day slate for Deion Barnes, Marcus Higgins, and Tom Allen now. So, you know, players or recruits are going to get to know those guys a little bit better. And it's just, you know, these three junior days, they always represent opportunities for Penn State, whether it be opportunities to close on guys, opportunity to continue building relationships, opportunities to get relationships off the ground. You know, some of these guys who are going to be visiting Penn State this weekend will be visiting Penn State for the first time. I mentioned Henderson. It's going to be his first trip to State College, and he's a Southern kid. So, you know, how do you build that relationship while he's in town, you know, things like that. You're always keeping an eye out for during these junior day visits. You know, you keep an eye on anyone on commit watch. How are things unfolding with guys as they're on campus? So, you know, you got to keep the ear to the ground, see what's going on. But this weekend, already a really, really good visitors list. I mean, we've been confirming names for the 27th and the 3rd, February 3rd as well. And it's just looking like it's going to be a star studded winter for Penn state on the visit front. And it all starts this weekend and you know, the list keeps on growing. So I'd anticipate before Saturday afternoon rolls around and these guys are making it out to happy Valley. You know, I think we're going to add some more names who are pretty intriguing targets for the Nittany Lions. Yeah. Back to back to back weekends here where Penn state's welcoming recruits to town. I'll throw another new coach in the mix. Uh, Andy Kotelnicki, the offensive coordinator. Yeah. It's also his first chance to, to flex his personality a little bit, go face to face with, with prospects and their families and not just commitment watch. You're on offer watch with these weekends, mm -hmm. because if Penn state maybe just wants to fill in a little bit more of the picture with the guy, they can accomplish some of that stuff when they get them on campus. And, and you may see new offers go out uh, at each of these events as that board can continues to come together for 2025 and you've got 2026 prospects in play with some of this stuff as well. Tyler, appreciate the lowdown on the latest with Penn State's uh, upcoming recruiting event and, and a little bit more perspective on, on the freshman class that we've really had a chance to dive into here in the last few episodes of the podcast. All season is, is underway, but as you know, uh, there's not a lot off about it. So we appreciate all the work you put in. 
Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me back on. All right, dude. We'll talk to him real soon. We'll talk to Daniel Gallon again soon on the podcast. Uh, for now, big thanks to both of them for hopping on. We had a lot to catch up on with. We were trying to get an episode to you a little bit earlier this week, but with the snowstorm, my personal travel plans got mixed up a little bit. Uh, so we came to you on a Wednesday. Try to get a second episode out to you later this week. Uh, and we'll try to get another guest on for you. If you missed it last episode, Brian Doan did a great thorough breakdown of not just the 2024 freshman class that recently arrived on campus here in Happy Valley, but of some of the higher profile members of that transfer class, guys that he covered back in high school very closely, like Julian Fleming and Nolan Rucci. So just want to encourage folks, if you skip past for whatever reason, our last episode, it's worth the listen to check out what Brian had to say about a lot of these guys. For now, stepping aside, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.